Welcome to The Conversation. This podcast is produced by QSource as part of Medicare's quality improvement organization efforts to share information, educate clinical staff, and encourage improvement through best practices. Each episode discusses a topic that is timely and applicable to you, your staff, and patients. In this series, QSource addresses adverse drug events known as ADEs. This is when someone is harmed by a medicine. Pharmacist John Pouliot, Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Lipscomb University, shares his experience and knowledge about ADEs in a series of conversations with QSource Quality Improvement Advisor Don Gettinger. Our guest speaker also maintains a practice site at Williamson Medical Center in Franklin, Tennessee, and his practice interests include emergency medicine, transitions of care, infectious diseases, pain management, and adverse drug effect prevention. Older Americans age 65 plus visit emergency departments almost 450,000 times a year as a result of ADEs and medication mismanagement. Long-term care patients are more susceptible to these. In this episode, the conversation is about common antipsychotic medications and medication management strategies that can be employed to best optimize the use of these medicines to limit side effects and maximize their positive effects. Now, let's get this conversation started. So we're talking today about antipsychotics and long-term care. Can you give us just an idea, an overview of this type of medication? Yes, I think that's a great place to start. So antipsychotics are a general class of medication, and they have activity um, uh, with patients that have various forms of psychoses or other mental health disorders. They primarily act on the dopamine and serotonin pathways in the brain, um, but they have some kind of unknown hypothetical effects. Uh, And I won't get into that too much, but I think it's important to kind of have a general overview of that. they are different from other medications that are used in uh, the treatment of psychosis and mental health disorders. So we distinguish antipsychotics from uh, benzodiazepines that can have an effect on on the the, uh, mental status of the patient, uh, as well as some other agents. So these are specifically uh, used for, um, for psychosis and related conditions. When we think about the, 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 class of medications, we typically will separate that class into two different um, types. So we we call them, there's different ways to refer to them, but first generation and second generation, sometimes the first generation agents are, um, are called typical agents and the second generation agents are called atypical agents. The first generation are obviously the older antipsychotics that aren't used too much in practice anymore. Examples of them would be haloperidol and chlorpromazine. Uh, The much more common agents are these second generation agents or atypical agents. And these would include medications like aripiprazole, uh, clozapine, olanzapine, quetiapine, and ziprazidone. So medications that are much more commonly used, especially in chronic use. So the first generation agents are less common for chronic management because they have a higher side effect profile, uh, and especially a side effect profile that um, is is cumulative. So a a single dose of a first generation agent wouldn't cause particular um, side effects, but if you gave it for a long period of time, it would be an issue. Um, and then second generations are kind of the mainstays of therapy. So they're used a lot more for chronic management of uh, psychosis and related mental health disorders. 
Wonderful little background on me, John. I am um, a long time ago in a, in a life far away when I was in college, I worked um, on an inpatient unit, behavioral health inpatient unit. So some of those first generation names, medication names that you mentioned, the Haldol or the Haloperidol um, are very familiar, but but I do recall there were a lot of side effects with those patients. Um, sure. So talk about, let's talk a little bit about how some of those antipsychotics, both the, the first and the second generation are used commonly in patient care, um, especially around long-term care. Yeah, I think it's important at this point to distinguish um, the use of medication, of these medications as on-label uses and off-label uses. Um, and so that, that, that terminology just refers to, in essence, FDA approval of the medications. Uh, and so antipsychotics are approved specifically or on-label specifically for schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorders, bipolar disorders, acute agitation, and acute mania. And some of them are also approved for major depressive disorders. How this relates to long-term care is that we often uh, see these antipsychotics being used off-label. So for conditions or um, patient dispositions that aren't um, aren't necessarily uh, mental health. So we or, or specifically for those approved uh, disorders. So we see antipsychotics used for anxiety and dementia, depression. We see them used for as as an an anti-insomnia agent. Sometimes they're used for eating disorders. And so it's it's important, especially when we think about long-term care patients. Um, that we're distinguishing between th these agents being used for their approved indications and then being used uh, in an off-label way um, because use off-label is sometimes we're sometimes using these agents, especially with insomnia, for their side effects of sedation. We're sedating the patient using an agent um, that has a sedati sedat sedating side effect um, but it's not actually uh, the, an appropriate use. And so, especially in long-term care, we have um, we have standards and we can only use medications when they're indicated. Uh, and so these off-label uses sometimes um, muddy the waters for us. Interesting. So when the, the physicians and the, the care team are considering starting one of these medications, what are some of the, the things they're thinking about? What are they taking into account? A lot of times they're taking into account what what the patient uh, is presenting with. Uh, obviously, when we any start any medication, we want to see what they're presenting with. And within the antipsychotic classes, there are some agents that are maybe better for schizophrenia or better for bipolar. Um, and so that's one of the first things. Often starting antipsychotics is trial and error um, because the mechanisms, while we know something about the mechanism of action of these agents, there are some unknown effects. Uh, and so we will, the trial and error is with both the agent and the, uh, the dosing. So sometimes we have to do a little bit of trial and error to find an agent and a dose that works well for that particular patient. So it's very individualized when we start. And we also want to think when we're starting or when providers are starting about the side effect profile. Uh, and so our first generations have a, a side effect profile that's kind of unique to them. Second generation agents have a different side effect profile. And so we're going to think about that when we're thinking about especially long term use of these agents. Let's get into that a little bit because, I mean, often side effects affect um, elderly patients or geriatric patients a little bit differently. 
um, and sometimes for long-term care patients. So what are the some, some of the side effects that we see um, for antipsychotic medications in general? And then we can talk about the differences based on the patients. Sure. Um, when, we, when, we, when we divide antipsychotics into first and second generations, um, the first generation antipsychotics are, have much higher incidence of um, cardiac uh, side effects, specifically QT prolongation, uh, which can result in arrhythmias and potentially life-threatening arrhythmias. So we see that more with our first generations, and that's one of the big reasons why we don't use them as much. One of the other side effects that is more unique to first-generation agents is um, what we call extrapyramidal side effects, and these are primarily uh, dyskinesias or movement disorders that sometimes can be irreversible. Um, they also have a more sedative effect, and they have more of a dissociation effect, meaning the patient is maybe looks like they're awake, but they're not really kind of present uh, mentally. Um, they also have a higher incidence of anticholinergic effects, um, which uh, pretty much across the board, we try to avoid these anticholinergic effects in elderly patients because they can be more pronounced and lead to falls risks and just discomfort. Um, our second generations still carry some of those side effects, um, but they're much less, uh, especially with chronic use. What, what rises or what becomes more common in the second generation antipsychotics is that there's a higher incidence of metabolic effects, specifically weight gain, um, metabolic syndrome, and the, the development of diabetes. We don't exactly know why that is, occurs. Um, it's kind of an unknown mechanism, but we do see that uh, in, in those patients. And so while the first generation side effects are much more pronounced, um, and can occur with individual doses. Um, those second generations, um, we, we do worry about metabolic syndrome and diabetes and worsening of those conditions with chronic use. Well, it's just a good reminder that, that none of these conditions are siloed. Our um, yeah. behavioral health conditions definitely affect our, our chronic disease conditions and, and vice versa. Um, so thinking about that a little bit and and with long-term care, what are some of the special considerations um, providers and staff look at when they're prescribing to these to long-term care patients? Yeah, so so I think I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush, but when we think about long-term care patients, they're often going to be geriatric patients, so they're often going to have a higher risk of side effects than a younger patient might. They often are, like you mentioned, with siloing, we can't really think about or, uh, conditions in a siloed way. They often have multiple comorbidities that results in their uh, lack of ability to, to, to live at home um, and needing additional help. So those additional comorbidities mean um, that they're, they're going to be susceptible to the side effects more. Um, and they're also, if they have multiple medical conditions, they're also likely on other medications. And so that's one of the things that I haven't mentioned yet is that uh, these antipsychotic agents have lots of drug interactions, um, both at the metabolism level, uh, which us nerdy pharmacists like to get into, um, but even just at a, a, a combination um, level. So if they're on other medications, maybe they have osteoarthritis and they're getting an opiate or they have anxiety and they're getting a benzodiazepine, you can get additive effects, additive side effects of these medications. So they're at increased risk of polypharmacy and adding these agents um, can, in, can 
impair them. They're at increased risk of falls. They're at increased risk for depression. Um, so giving a sedative agent um, is, is an issue. So, um, and additionally, long-term care um, patients uh, are kind of cared for in a, in, in a way that is, is not as um, multidisciplinary in real time. And so in the hospital setting, um, you have a pharmacist and a nurse and a physician or provider kind of talking about the patient in real time. And oftentimes in long-term care, the pharmacist comes to see the patient or the patient's chart one day, the provider might come at a different time of the day. And so that communication piece where you can have those conversations about, is this medication appropriate? Is the dose appropriate and so forth? Um, it's a little bit more difficult for that to happen um, and, and can result in, again, more medications or inappropriate dosing and so forth. Uh, and then, you know, the long-term care setting is uh, susceptible to those transitions of care. So uh, we, in the inpatient setting, in the hospital setting, use antipsychotics in that off-label way. And our goal is to try to just use it for a short period of time. Maybe the patient has some acute depression or delirium uh, in the inpatient side, and we want to get them um, treated for that. But then we don't want those antipsychotics to be continued but a lot of times some those those can fall through the cracks and get continued on the patient in the long-term care setting. And so there's a lot of reasons why long-term care patients um, can end up with an antipsychotic on their medication list uh, inappropriately. Uh, and, and also there's a risk that they could, you know, have their antipsychotic that they should be on stopped inappropriately in the inpatient setting, and that could continue. So those are just some of the the, the additional risk factors for these patients. Right. You know, it definitely makes sense that those transitions of care um, are really points of some additional risk and things that need to be, be looked a little bit more closely to manage it. Um, what are some of the, the strategies that are used to manage these medications that, that are on the antipsychotics? Yeah, I think the first thing is to make sure that we are doing, we are vigilant about doing medication reconciliation, especially at those transition of care points. So that's not only when a patient goes from the acute care setting to the long-term care setting, but vice versa, when they go from long-term care to acute care. So making sure that that med reconciliation happens um, by qualified people uh, is, is going to be incredibly important to make sure that we're doing right by the patient. So making sure we have the right list and that the medications on there are what the patient's actually taking. The second is identifying if the medication is appropriate. So thinking about antipsychotics specifically, should the patient be on an antipsychotic? Do they have a diagnosis that matches the need for an antipsychotic? Um, or is it being used off-label? And if it is being used off-label, we should be having questions and conversation about what that if that medication is best um, to treat this off-label use. And then we want to think about dosing and side effect management. So are these side of, are, is the patient experiencing side effects? Is that a dose-related phenomenon or is that a, um, a, a drug-related phenomenon? Do we need to change drugs? Do we need to adjust the dosing? One of the things that um, colleagues uh, that, that work with these patients uh, that have antipsychotics or are on antipsychotics, um, they do a gradual dose reduction strategy. So this sometimes can be a fact-finding mission to determine if the patient needs to be on the agent at all, 
or if the, if the patient can tolerate a lower dose and still maintain efficacy. So what they do is a gradual dose reduction strategy to reduce the dose gradually. This could either be to just try to find a, the best dose for the patient where their efficacy is maintained, but the side effect profile is minimized, or to reduce the, uh, or to get the medication off of the patient altogether. Um, we don't want to do these abruptly because antipsychotics have, um, can sometimes have some rebound effects. So we want to gradually reduce dosing. So that's one of the ways we can do that. All right, thank you. It sounds like that coordination between the pharmacist and the, the medical provider that's prescribing the medication is really important. Um, do you have any just kind of brief tips or anything on how that communication can be made better? Yeah, I think I think getting your pharmacists involved uh, in care uh, as much as possible. We we have uh, kind of a specialized knowledge when it comes to medications and medication management, and so I think a lot of times, especially in the long term care setting, pharmacists can get underutilized, and and a lot of times pharmacists are. You know, we're making sure the the charts are appropriate and the medication list is appropriate, but really engaging when possible the pharmacist in in that. And I'm not just saying that as a pharmacist. Uh, you know, obviously, I think I think having those multidisciplinary conversations are really helpful. Um, and then I can't harp enough on the medication lists and making sure they're they're correct, uh, and that we're not uh, engaging in polypharmacy with patients unknowingly. So I think the big thing is vigilance about um, about the medications, asking good questions as a nurse or as an administrator in a long-term care facility, and don't forget that there's a patient here. Like we have a patient that we're trying to care for the best we can, and it's important for us to really focus on them. Uh, what are their how What are their perceptions of how their mental health disorder is cared for? Uh, or, or their understanding of the side effects to these medications. Um, and so I think just that those communication strategies are going to be really helpful um, to optimize patient care in this area. Thank you. I think that's a great place to kind of wrap up too, because reminding that the patient is the center of this care um, and that, you know, there's times that these, these medications are, are helpful and necessary for the patients, but there's a lot of factors that go in. Thank you for discussing some of those um, and sharing them with us today. Uh, and I want to thank everyone that's listening for joining us in the Conversation Podcast. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining the conversation. If you found this conversation of interest, we encourage you to join the conversation by visiting us online at qsource.org forward slash podcast. The conversation was produced by QSource, the Quality Innovation Network, Quality Improvement Organization for Indiana under a contract with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Contents does not necessarily reflect CMS policy.